0: you are about to hear a preview of Partially Examined Life supporter-exclusive content. To learn how to get the whole thing, check out PartiallyExaminedLife.com slash support. This is your nightcap,
1: Partially Examined Life for February 10th. How are you doing, guys? Doing great. Pretty good. Yeah, fantastic. Every day I wake up is the best day of my life.
2: There's no transparent sarcasm
0: going on there. Yes, we were supposed to have already recorded our second Tao De Jing some scheduling things at first, and then uh, some ice seemed to interfere with Seth. You had no power. Ice,
1: trees, power. Is that one of the Tao Te Ching verses? (laughs) That's kind of what it's like. The best tree is the tree that does not fall. The next best tree is the tree that falls but not on your property. (laughs) The third best tree is the tree that falls on your property but does not hit your house. The rest of them are horrible.
2: <laughs> That's actually pretty good.
1: <laughs> and I'm glad you liked it.
0: The best tree is made of chocolate. <laughs> you know, we got a request saying we should do more Mile High. Oh, I think it was a Patreon comment. Like, we threw out some comparisons. Somebody mentioned Dewey during our Wittgenstein. And maybe the nightcaps in particular are the place I was thinking, if, if anywhere... To sort of go into more detail, into compare and contrast, insofar as that actually requires extra research, and you know there are so many points of comparison that, like, yeah, somebody was just saying, I, you guys didn't convey and get Vincenzi the most important thing, which is the way Kripke summed it up, and you should connect it all to Kripke. Are you guys even aware of Kripke? Be nice to him; he's a good fan. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> but like, and we should do that. I think we should do the Kripke book. And I have re-listened to that one at some point in the last couple of years, but it's still more effort than I, unless I actually understand the connection, then I can't tell you offhand based on what I know just now from about Wittgenstein, even from reviewing Wittgenstein and make any coherent connection between that and Kripke's concept of rigid designation, which, you know, has come up his and Putnam's discussions of that several times in different contexts, but like they don't connect in any obvious way to me. So it might be something else Kripke wrote that we didn't read, but I don't know.
3: Well, that's what he was recommending, right? He wrote a book called Wittgenstein on language games and rules or something, Mm. or forget the name of the book. He suggested we read that and we we should read it.
0: That was an email I was initially thinking of it was, I think it was a Patreon comment that was like, Oh, you mentioned Dewey. Well, you should explore the the connection between doing this. Like that's a great idea in that I want to just do more Dewey soon.
3: So the Kripke book is called Wittgenstein on Rules and Private Language. I'm up for that anytime you guys
0: want to do it. First of all, meaning and necessity is great. It's been a long time. I wouldn't terribly mind, and that would probably, I guess we've talked briefly before about, like, do we actually want to do secondary literature by famous philosophers? Do we want to do Heidegger's book on Nietzsche? Do we want, you know, so we get Heidegger's Nietzsche or these kind of things, and they always sound good in the abstract, but then when it comes down to it, like, I'd almost always rather do something else. (laughs) Well, that's Heidegger. Well, I mean, the same thing goes for, I don't know, after spending two full episodes on Wittgenstein and, you know, making a point of reviewing the stuff to talk about in the last, one of the last nightcaps, I'm at at least not like chomping at the bit right now to take another bite of that apple.
2: Well, maybe it's later, but the Wittgenstein uncertainty was effectively his reaction to more, right? So yeah,
0: yeah.
3: I mean, our main objective was to get at what he was saying in uncertainty and relate it to more.
2: So, which I think we did. I mean, I don't... We made a promise or Mark made a promise that we would talk about philosophy of science and how it related to philosophy of science. And I think he was feeling...
0: Yeah. In the second discussion, which I don't know, I don't know if you heard that when he wrote the comment, the listener, but still it was like us relating insofar as we remember what Kuhn and Lakatos said, not like doing independent research.
1: It's possible that he didn't understand the rules of the language game that you were promising <laughs> something in the future and he thought it was going to come now.
0: I express what my interest is. And I guess I'm a little unsatisfied coming out of the uncertainty as well, that like it was fine for the exploration that it was. You know, I had the similar feeling. Wes, you, I, I feel like your comments sort of directly compared it to the fact that we did like a Shakespeare play that was kind of a draft <laughs> Shakespeare's notes. So We get to see inside the mm. mind of Shakespeare, or at least how this particular project that didn't get completed or you know wasn't to the normal, how that worked. And so I feel like we got something similar with Wittgenstein, which strangely has something similar, has a very similar feel with how we're approaching the Tao Te Ching, even though that was not one individual's draft, but was like worked over by a group probably for a hundred plus years before the text actually made it to the page in the way that we have seen it.
3: I mean, it's always going to be harder with something aphoristic. Mm-hmm. There's just no way around it. But
2: it's more than aphoristic. First
3: I thought I thought it was fine. I thought I thought we, right?
1: I mean I'm having a good time. I'm I'm excited about the next yeah, in a few days from now. And I unlike other sorts of excursions into places where we we have an expert and we know nothing. Felt respectful and diligent and so forth.
3: You know, with those things you need you need some idea of a few thematic threads to pursue which aphorisms you're gonna belong to that thread so that you can kind of weave your way through them and and so that's really what the organization
2: requires for that kind of text in that way it's not so different than like trying to read fragments of pre-socratics i guess where you're like reading parmenides where you have just this poem and then I've been rereading certain of the different poems for the Tao and then doing a little bit more aims. And I found myself just admitting to myself that, you know, I enjoy the poems well enough, but it's actually the explication that I find much more interesting. And there's something kind of, I realized that I found something kind of deeply unsatisfying about the poems themselves. And I didn't know what I thought of that just because they're so unexplicated. I mean, I'm just, I find myself much, much more interested in the interpretive part. You're talking about the aims? Well, I'm talking about the aims was much more interesting and then just our conversations were much more interesting than actually my experience of reading the book.
1: (laughs) I had the same experience. So it's not uncommon that we take a text that's very, very old, written in a language, which is you know substantially less discursive than the one we speak in. So, words uh, have ambiguity, they have multiple meanings, right? This is what all that hermeneutic, Talmudic, biblical interpretation is about in Judaism. It's like, okay, well, there is no fixed meaning because you can't really say that the word means just this or just this. It appears to be the same way with you know Chinese characters, particularly since apparently this is at the beginning of the formation of language and it's a very different kind of thing. So, you know, then you get this thing where it's like, okay, well... We can't just take the words at face value because we can't have a conversation about what's written on the page and are translated into our own discursive language. But I also don't want to like just have the commentary be like, let me explain the context. So you have to read, oh, there were this many emperors and there was all this stuff going on and the, to give it context like you're saying. So what happens is, in the Ames translation at least, which they preface and say a philosophical translation, they're just trying to come up with a thematic philosophical interpretation. And what became interesting was watching them try and justify or try to explicate their interpretation of the text and make it consistent because I would read a passage and then what would it be like? Like you said, maybe a two, four line verses or whatever. And then they would have three or four paragraphs. And the way they would describe it, it was completely counterintuitive to the way that I would take what was being said. And so it became more interesting to me to see how they were trying to massage the interpretation than to use it as a guide to actually understand what was being said.
0: If that sounds like the kind of thing that you want to hear more about, then please go to partiallyexaminedlife.com slash support. Thanks for listening. Join us today during the Jeep celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE or Summit 4xE.